Well, I invite you to turn to your Bibles, be they paper or digital, to Luke 2 for our brief study today. We will be coming back next uh, Advent in December for some of the narratives in Luke 2. But for now, we read a passage which is unique to Luke's gospel about Jesus, who is on the cusp of being a teenager here. So Luke 2, 42 through 52. Actually, I think I'm sorry, verse 41. Yep, there we go, 41. Now every year, his, Jesus's parents, went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up as usual for the festival. When the festival was ended and they started to return, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. But his parents were unaware of this. Assuming that he was in the group of travelers, they went on a day's journey. Then they started to look for him among their relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem to search for him. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. All who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished, and his mother said to him, Child, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously looking for you. He said to them, why were you searching for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he said to them. Then he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was obedient to them. And his mother treasured all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in years and in divine and human favor. The word of the Lord. Amen. There is much in this passage for us to notice and find wonder in and to think deeply about. So I'm going to focus on a few points and then we're going to have a few takeaways, trusting the Holy Spirit to speak truth to us through the Lord's early life. Passover, of course, was celebrated each year as one of the three main festivals in the capital city of Jerusalem. While men were required to go, most families who lived farther away, like Jesus's, would choose the ones that they attended. Since Passover is the high holiest time of the year and central to Judaism as it celebrates the freedom the freedom God's people won at the time of Exodus under Moses, many chose to go at that time. Here Luke tells us how Mary and Joseph went annually to the Passover as a family, traveling with others from Nazareth, which would have been a three-day journey. So Passover is over and the families leave to go back home. After traveling for a day, Jesus' parents realize their eldest son is missing. By the time they find him, three days have passed. Three days. The same amount of time Jonah was in the belly of the whale. The same amount of time Jesus was in the tomb. Three is considered a whole, a complete number in scripture. We could think about that for a long time, but we're not going to. But think about what you were doing Thursday morning. That might seem like a while ago. We were getting ready for senior lunch, hoping that the rain didn't dampen our time. What were you doing? So when we think about three days being how long Mary and Joseph were separated from their almost teenager, we feel the tension. 
Especially when we think about a world where these parents are not connected to their children through devices like we are. They have no fast vehicle to take them back to the place they think they lost him. They can't call the police, the temple, or friends nearby to go and get their son. They are hugely connected relationally, as we see from their larger community, with whom they trust their children, and of course their love for Jesus. But they have no ability to be connected in any immediate way when they are apart. It's hard for us to imagine that reality in some ways. What's not hard to imagine is the anxiety Mary experiences when they finally find her son, which she expresses when they finally find him. Three days must have gone so slowly. They must have been out of their minds. Their beloved child, the one entrusted to them by the Lord Almighty, missing. That's a lot of feelings to absorb. The angel didn't tell them what to do if they lost the Messiah. (laughs) That he was God's son must have compounded their worry just a little bit. And like many married people, there would have been probably a dynamic of blame. Where were you? Wasn't it your job? How could you have let this happen? And remorse and guilt. If only I would have done this. A lot of layers going on here. But Jesus isn't thinking about those things. He's at the temple sitting at the feet of the rabbis. Soaking in the wisdom. In a beloved place. Everything he could learn. It's kind of neat to see this set in the same place where he was dedicated as a baby, where words of prophecy were spoken over him. This is what godly parents hope for. A child who will grow to seek God's truth, who will ask questions, who will begin to express and interact with truth in such a way that it matters and impacts their soul. He's 12 years old, right at the age of accountability. What happened here? I mean, was he led by the Spirit to stay? We don't know what Jesus knew about his divinity and when he was aware of it, but this is the only story that shows us what his development looked like. And Luke portrays the Lord as curious and honest and confident and respectful and brilliant. And at this time, it seems that Jesus must have been aware somehow of his status as Messiah at some level because of how he acts both behaviorally and relationally. So Jesus here is differentiating from his parents in a way that was healthy and probably painful for them. Welcome welcome to parenting, right? As the firstborn, this would have been the first time they would have experienced the difficulty of separation in this manner. Mary takes it personally. Why have you treated us this way? She asks as if Jesus is somehow intentionally trying to hurt them. But every parent understands Mary's response. Every teenager might even understand Mary's response. The word for anxiously looking in this passage means deep mental anguish and pain. 
What is kind of surprising or interesting is how surprised they both seem to be by one another. Where were you? Where did you think I would be? Mary can't believe that Jesus would treat them in this way, not thinking how worried they would be. Jesus expresses how obvious his location should have been to them if they would have thought about it for very long. This exchange shows the classic parent-teen relationship where in the moment neither can understand the other's viewpoint because they're so entrenched in their own. This is a strong dynamic where both parties are vying for power. And one has the long-standing authority in the family while the other is rising to take his place. What is unusual here in the typical teenage parent dynamic is how Jesus isn't being rebellious for the sake of being rebellious. He is reminding Mary how God has given them both a purpose. You know where I would be, right? One thing that we see in the mother-son dynamic throughout the Gospels is how Mary has expectations of Jesus at various times. Uh, Change the water into wine. Do whatever he says. Woman, what does this have to do with me? Mark records that in uh, another time, the siblings and Mary show up quite unannounced to exert family pressure to get him to stop the ministry. So Mary is in kind of a weird place here as a lifelong disciple of her Lord, who is also her son. It's complicated. But if we look closely enough, we see that Jesus is soon going to be the authority in the relationship, if he isn't already. So Luke records two important pieces at the end. One is how Jesus left to go back home with the family and stayed obedient to his parents, increasing in wisdom and stature as the years go by, both from human sources and divine. And the other thing is that Mary ponders these things, treasures these things in her heart. This is a very Lucan thing to say. It's the third time in this uh, section where, she, um, where he says that. Luke portrays Mary as a contemplative. She quietly thinks about the things that happen, realizing how God is on the move, recognizing who God is, what she said yes to. Ultimately, both of them submit to the will of the Father who has brought them together for the good of all of us who desperately need to know God's abiding truth and love. So here are just two takeaways for us as we take communion this morning. How do our expectations of God lead us to being hurt? Think about some situations in your life where you have been disappointed or angry because Jesus didn't do what you expected. And it was hard. Where are you, Lord? Why aren't you where I think you should be? I worried in anguish because of your absence, and I searched, and I searched, and I searched. But one thing that we remember from this passage is that God's ways are not our ways. This is the beginning of Mary seeing that truth in her own son. The second the angel came with a huge announcement for her life, she learned that God shows up in surprising places Because his purposes have to be fulfilled. Mary was obedient and now that her son is growing, she has to continue to allow God to be God. 
And just because we are deeply connected to Jesus relationally doesn't mean that we can predict or dictate where he should be or what that looks like. Do we trust God to be who he is? What his place should be? Or do we put human constraints on him because we're fearful? Fear leads to control. We don't have a God who will bend to our will, but expects that we will trust him and learn to trust him and submit to his. Secondly, Jesus, though quite young, is highlighting a key truth for his parents and for us. Why are you worried when the Father has so much more for us to learn and to be and to do? Often we have to be reminded about what is eternal and what is truly important in our immediate context. Jesus was God's son and Mary and Joseph could have peace knowing that God is in control. Look at everything they had been through and how faithful God had been. A surprise pregnancy, a near breakup, having a baby far from home without ideal conditions, Herod, Egypt. God has all power and authority. He sees things to completion. God has a plan in all circumstances. And just because we can't see it doesn't mean it isn't there. But when anguish grips us, we often become hyper-focused on the crisis. Not really able to see God in that moment. This is so real for us. That there are times that anxiety grips us. And we couldn't hear God if we tried. But Jesus is modeling something here for us, a dependence on the Father that helps us remember that there are purposes that we are meant to be living out far beyond our human ties and our everyday life here. We are meant to be seeking and serving the one who is eternal. I'm not minimizing a parent's worst nightmare. I'm pointing out how Jesus at a young age is beginning to reframe to those closest to him, that they are going to need to see the world in a new way. There has to be a shift from what we care most about in the world to the priorities God has for us as his people. Because in just a few short years, Jesus will do something that no one who loved him wanted him to do, which is go to the cross and die. And some try to talk him out of it, but consistently his message was the same. I have to die. This is why I have come to the earth. It's better for you if I go away. This was the very reason he came. So as we read the liturgy, let us prayerfully acknowledge the wisdom and the greatness of Jesus our Lord, surrendering our lives once again in dependence and hope. Thank you for listening. If you would like to learn more about the Free Methodist Church of Santa Barbara, you can visit us online at fmcsb.org. We pray this message has been a blessing to you.